At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Romans chapter 5, that's what we'll be. Uh, real quick, man, I just want to say it was such a blessing last Sunday to be able to watch 39 people confess their love for Jesus and the faith that they've placed in it through baptism at our lake baptism. And it was just powerful to hear people's stories of life change and what God is doing in their lives. I mean, so cool. It was uh, just a, a time to be there. It was amazing. And then one quick housecoming thing. Someone, uh, uh, I won't hold it up so no one can see online, but someone left their credit card, uh, dropped it in the lobby. So if you don't come get it, I'm going to be shopping this afternoon. Uh, Rorky Glass, you hear? Um, all right, buddy. Perfect. Awesome. Here you go, bud. Um, I just wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we have a giving kiosk down there. I was going to swipe it a couple times, but <laughs> didn't want to do that. Um, yeah. Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to be. I'm going to take a quick drink of water. It's always tough drinking a wafer before you have to preach. That's always fun. But today we're going to be launching a new series in the book of Romans for uh, the, really the fall. We're between two series within the book of Romans. We're going to have an amazing time seeing the depths and the riches of Romans and what God has for us. And the series is called Newish. Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? I love the title only because when you look at the book of Romans, why we called it that is while we have been, through the power of God, become new creations in Christ Jesus, which is fantastic, awesome, we all look at it and be like, man, that's amazing, yes, but unfortunately within uh, Christendom, some, many, are not living as though they are new. Really, many are living as though they are only newish. Like, man, I'm just good enough. But can I tell you, Jesus didn't bleed and die and give his life on the cross for us that we can just kind of be newish. No, he, he expounds on, through the Apostle Paul, throughout the book of Romans, this beauty of the gospel and all that we have in Christ that we might live as new creations in Christ Jesus. Now, he gave his life that we would be made new. We would be healed, whole people of God and live in light of that. But man, can I just tell you, before we put it all out there, one of the reasons maybe that many people within Christendom, many people within the church, the gospel is not transforming their lives in deep and profound, profound ways is because we have not let go yet to the grip with which sinfulness has on our lives. Maybe because uh, the, the gospel is not transforming and making us new in Christ. Maybe one of the major reasons is because we haven't released the grip that we have on sin that is reigning in our everyday Life. And today we're going to see something absolutely astonishing, at the same time deeply offensive. It's going to be fun. It'll be great. And it's this. Our big idea for today from our text, from the first 11 verses of chapter 5, is that God only saves bad people. God only saves bad people. Another way of saying this maybe is that God can't save good people. You see, how are these statements offensive while well, at the same time refreshing? Well, it depends on the way that you see yourself. 
It depends on the way that you see yourself within scripture or the way that you live your life. Because everywhere you read within the scriptures, you will find, Paul is reiterating here in Romans, that it's abundantly clear that everywhere you find that we are broken, sinful people, right? Now, I, don't, I don't want us to sit there. I don't want us to just wallow in the fact that, yeah, I'm a sinner, so I can't do any better. No, we want something much greater. And that's why the gospel is here, to renew our lives that we might live in light of it. But unfortunately, I feel as though in the way that we live today, the word sinner is mostly used as a joke, a joking term. Like, oh, you stole some of your kids' Halloween candy? You sinner. Or we joke about it in other random ways. But how was the, when's the last time you watched the news and saw some of the travesties that are happening by, at, at human hands around the world or in other people's lives that you know and be like, man... He's living in sin. We don't talk about the, the S word often anymore. But when you look at scriptures, it's there all the time. I just want to read for you in Romans chapter 3 because it sets the stage for where we're going. This is what Paul defines as a sinner. He says this, none is righteous in chapter 3 verse 10. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All of turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are in ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Super uplifting text. But it sets the stage to the depravity with which human beings live in. I mean, if I just ask you a question, have you ever deceived rather than told the truth? Have you ever caused conflict instead of seeking peace? I mean, have you ever preferred your own way instead of seeking after the ways of God? Can I tell you, I have never met one person, including myself, who could answer no to any of those three questions. It's because it's revealing, really, at the end of the day, we are broken, sinful people. And throughout the letter, Paul goes to great lengths to show us our ultimate depravity, that we are broken, sinful people in need of a savior. Can I tell you, what is the gospel called? Anybody? Two words. Good news. Can I tell you, you don't need good news unless there's bad news. You don't need good news unless there is something that is out of place. And the beauty of Romans is, yes, he sets the stage to say, man, we are broken, um, sinful people running in our own direction. But at the end of the day, we have a beautiful Savior who runs after us and redeems us to make us new again. So today, it's going to be fascinating and fun to look at some of the benefits of salvation that we have as sinful people within the gospel. So if you look with me in verse one, we see one of the benefits that we have within Christ. Romans chapter one and two, Romans chapter five, verses one and two is that the war is ended and we have access to God that's been granted to us. Look in verse one. Therefore, it says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace with which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The war is ended and we have gained access to God through Christ. So Paul's writing to the Roman church somewhere around AD 56 or 57. 
He's not visited this church before. This church is made up of of maybe former slaves and current slaves, Jews and Gentiles. And he's writing to them to clarify the gospel, to have them find unity around the gospel, and maybe win some over to support him on his missionary excursions. And he begins this section with this momentous statement in verse 1 where he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, since we have been justified by faith, literally sums up the first four chapters before this. It sums it up that we have been justified by faith in Christ, that we've been made right or in right standing before God, like just as if I've never sinned. But the beauty is, if you've ever heard justification explained that way, it's just as if you've never sinned. Can I tell you that's only half of the equation? There's actually more to that. It's not just as if you've never sinned. It's like you had a bank account that was full of debt. You had, you had a, a bunch of debt, and someone came along and paid off all of your debt, and it's just as if you never had debt. But on top of that, then they turned around and deposited millions of dollars into your account, the righteousness of, God, righteousness of God that is now yours in Christ. So it's not just as if you've never sinned. It's just as if you've never sinned, but also you've gained the righteousness of Christ as well. You've inherited, you've become a co-heir with the beauty of Christ. And he begins the section by portraying all of that since we've been justified by faith alone. Now, the whole of the 12 weeks we're looking in Romans, we're going to hear many of the effects of the justification we have in Christ. And he starts with the first one here when he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Do you have peace with God, right? Isn't that cool? I think some of these things just roll off the back of our our necks, just like, yeah, that's cool. I've heard it my whole life. I have peace with God. I don't even know what it means to not have peace with God. And this this, this is something that is huge. It's not just some emotional feeling. This is actually an external peace, like an objective reality. It's as if you, I'm sure, have experienced in human relationships where you're at odds with someone. You may have a coworker that you do not have peace with. Can I get an Amen even within the church world, right? So you have maybe a family member that you're at odds with, that you're not at peace with. Maybe a neighbor, he blows his leaves on your lawn, whatever it may be. And then by the grace of God, maybe you find a resolution and now there's peace between you and them. This is what he's talking about. It's as if you are at war, like when we watch where there's wars between nations and then there's peace. This is what he's talking about here. And throughout the scriptures, we hear of this as he painted even before this, this grim picture of war between humans and God. I'll just read with you, read for you one couple verses in chapter uh, one of Romans. It says this, Romans 1.28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they being humans, God gave them up to a debased mind to do as ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips and slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I mean, he goes on and on and on in verse 31. Though they know God's righteous decree, they also practice such things that deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. 
It paints this grim picture of like this, this odds we have with God. But then in chapter three, it's amazing, this blow away news that God in his mercy put forward his own son to receive the judgment. All, all of our evil acts are placed on him undeservedly. And he tells us that in light of Christ and our trusting in him, we now have peace with God. That's why it's beautiful. That's why it's amazing that we now are walking, we're resting in the fact we have peace with God. What does that peace look like? What does it sound like? It sounds like this. Father, I know I truly offended you. I've rebelled against you. I know I am full of envy and murder and strife and deceit in my own heart. And God says, I love you. I receive you as my child. I see, I see you full of love and light, peace and truth, because that's who my son is, and you trust my son, what is true of my son is true of you. And what's amazing is our peace with God doesn't change day to day. It's not based on the, the way we feel. It's not based on what we see in the world around us. It's objective. It's external. It's achieved on the cross. It's delivered to us by faith. And Paul goes on to say that through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand. I just want to set here for a minute. I want to use all my time, but access. Did you know you have access to God through Christ? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're online and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you have access to God. I don't know sometimes if we truly understand that we have access to the God of the universe. I ask this all the time. I asked it last week. You might say, yes, I believe that, but do you live as though you have access to God? It's amazing the world we're living in. It used to be back in the day, man, if you gave someone your cell phone, man, you had connection, you had access to them. It was, it was awesome. Like, man, this is great. But nowadays with the age of social media, no one has to have your phone number. They can, anyone can be connected to anyone. I can literally get on my phone right now and message a celebrity and they might even see the message that I sent them. You have access to all kinds of people. Right? I mean, it's, it's actually a, a profound, amazing thing. Like, I have people all the time from the church who will message me on social media and be like, hey, Jim, this or that. And that's awesome. But we live in a world where you can have access to people that is not wanted or it's not invited. And, and you might feel like, man, this is awesome. I can talk to this person. Or I can interact with this person on social media or online. That's awesome. I have access to them. But it might not even be wanted, right? Nowadays, I talk to young adults, and they put themselves out there, and they send a message to that person they thought was pretty online, and then the beautiful thing on social media is you can see when they've seen it and they haven't responded, and then, it, are you kidding me? They never responded to me. I have access to them, but maybe it was unwanted access. Can I tell you the powerful thing about Jesus? You have access to the God of the universe, and it is not unwanted. It is not looked down upon. It is not like, oh my word, Jim needs me again. Oh, are you kidding me? I can't believe they won't stop asking for stuff. Are you kidding me? They're upset again. No, no. At the end of the day, what's beautiful about the gospel is that Jesus came running after us to give us access, to make a way for us to have access to God, and he loves it. He wants it. The, 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 the thing that blows my mind within Christendom, within followers of Jesus, the God of the universe is walking next to you every single day, wanting you to have access to you, wanting you to interact with him, wanting you just to sit in his presence, wanting you to read his word and allow him to speak to you, wanting to hear about your day. And we walk about our days every single day. So many followers of Jesus never even acknowledging that he's present. You have access to the greatest human being 
in all of history, the greatest being in God himself. Can I just ask you, like, what does it look like for you to have access? What does that access look like? Do you even take part in it? When I came back from my sabbatical, I tried to get into our staff entrance, scanned my little key fob, and access denied. I was like, oh, I didn't hear about my being relieved of my job while I was gone for two months. Uh, Okay, so I had to walk around the building to try and come in another way and bang on some windows or something. And I was like, wow, sweet mercy. I guess they kicked me out while I was gone. That's horrible. You never want to have denied access. We live with a God who invites it because we have been made right with God. We have peace with God that now we can go to God Always, the war is over and we've been granted access before God of the God of the universe. It's amazing. Another benefit, if you look in verse three with me, is that suffering has misfired and hope is actually alive. Look what it says in verse three. So that, if that's not enough, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And everybody's like, I never understood this passage. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. See, Paul continues to talk about the benefits we have in Christ through salvation. Then he says, not only that, but we receive or we rejoice in our sufferings. Can I tell you, if there's two words that should never be in the same sentence, it's those rejoice and suffering, right? To, to all of the, the, the thought processes or, or the way in which we see the world many times in our flesh, you should never see rejoice and suffering together unless you've been made new in Christ. Not newish, but new in Christ. You see, when Jesus is the beautiful things, when Jesus went to the cross, enduring physical and spiritual pain and all of our sin and shame and guilt, more than we can ever experience or know, out of that pain came resurrection, a new humanity, a new world, a vested suffering for his followers with what, with what kind is life-remaking power. That, like, in that suffering that Christ did, he has a vested suffering for us, that as we walk through suffering, as we are in Christ, there's something profound and new and deep that God wants to do in that suffering. It's almost life-giving as it was for Christ as he died on the cross for us. And the crazy thing is that as you read in Hebrews, death is really something that the devil kept over humanity forever. If you read in Hebrews, I'll read it for you in chapter two, it says this in verse 14. Tell us, excuse me, he said, the death of Jesus destroys the one who has the power over death, that is the devil, and delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You see, this is the thing. The fear of death includes the fear of suffering and it's been keeping people in subjection forever. But because of the, the cross, because of Jesus conquering sin, death, and hell, suffering for Christians is misfiring. It's not the way it should be. Or, or should I say it this way? It's not to our undoing. Rather, the opposite. Suffering is producing a chain virtue within us. As it says here, suffering produces endurance and character, and then character leads to hope. You see, this is the thing. Within Christendom, we have a different view of what it looks like to suffer. It's not to our undoing. We know that God has a purpose in it, right? 
That's the thing about much of what I've experienced over the last couple of years and seeing all the suffering around the world. I honestly don't know how people do it, how people walk through it, how people walk through many things that they experience every day without Christ. But as followers of Jesus, we believe something much different, that we believe that God is sovereign, amen? We believe that God has a hand on your life, amen? We believe that God is working all things for good according to his good purposes, right? For those who are called, for those who love him, correct? So in suffering, there's something much more profound that is happening, that God is working in you that you otherwise might not ever be able to experience outside of it, that God is allowing us in certain times of life to walk through certain struggles, that in it, it will produce an endurance in our faith. It'll produce a character in our faith. It'll produce a hope that we've never experienced before. Can I tell you, if you have never experienced great suffering in your life, and you just walk through life, and life is great, and God is like a genie in a bottle, he gives you everything you need, you just pray, and poof, there you go, it's awesome. Do you ever have to look forward to a future hope? No. But as we, as followers of Jesus, walk through what God has called us to, and it produces endurance, and character, and in that it ultimately longs, it produces in us a longing for the hope that we have in Christ to be made new. You see, one commentator said this, Christians are like tea bags. You have to put them in hot water to see how strong they are. There's a lot of truth to that, that within suffering, within trials, God reveals himself, and it shows who we are in Christ, and it reveals how we're walking with the, with the Lord. So Christians, man, don't be afraid of suffering. Suffering is misfired. In Christ, suffering is not your undoing. It makes us stronger. It leads to endurance and character and hope. And what's beautiful, in verse five, it says, and our hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Man, this is one of my favorite verses of the Apostle Paul in Romans. Now, if I say that again throughout the series, forgive me, but right now, this is one of my favorite verses in Romans. That the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Spirit of God that is in you. Isn't that amazing? The hope that you have in Christ does not put you to shame. Because one day, the judgment of God, man, is not going to be poured out on you. We know that we've built our lives on the righteousness of Christ. And Christ's righteousness absorbs all of the wrath of God that was going to be poured out on us because we're sinful. Man, isn't that a reason enough? Isn't that, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know why you guys come to church. Maybe you just grew up that way and it's something you feel like you have to do. That's why I come to church. That's why I come to celebrate. That's why I come in to shout the beautiful uh, things that we sing. That God, man, I don't know if we just, I just don't know if we grasp some of this stuff yet, is that that God's wrath was going to be poured out on me, but God, in his great mercy, gave us Christ. And because of that, I have ultimate, unbelievable hope in Jesus. Man, by the Holy Spirit that has been placed in your heart. You see, what happens is, when we as followers of Jesus walk through troubling times, and I know there's many probably here because I chat with you and I meet with you, There's something beautiful that happens in suffering where, yes, it's building endurance and it's building character and it leads to a stronger hope within Christ. But in those those seasons that really are many times amazing after we come out of them, there's the spirit of God that has been placed in you and we experience an outpouring of the love of God in those seasons that we might not have experienced any other time. 
Can, can I just say, do you realize that the spirit of God is in you? And the spirit of God meets you in those places to pour out his love on you, to wash over you and to know you. Man, um, I love my wife, Sarah. You'll hear me say that a lot, but I love to hear her voice. It's amazing. I, I, I know I'm hearing her voice because I know her voice. And I love hearing it because I know she's the most devoted person to my well-being in the world. She loves me more than anyone else. I know her voice. No one on earth loves me the way that she does. And it goes past like an intellectual understanding. No, my heart, my whole person is convinced of the fact that she loves me. Can I ask, is that the way that your experience is with God? Are you convinced in your whole being that God loves you profoundly and deeply and it speaks to your heart and your soul and your mind that God loved you so much that he gave you his son. Not only that, he gave you the spirit of God that is in you that's pouring out his love on you all the time. And I just wanna pause for a moment. I made myself a promise when I went on sabbatical that I would practice praying way more in our services. Can I just pause for a moment? I, I just want us to bow our heads for a moment. I know there's people that are walking through extreme suffering and pain. And I just want to pray over you this morning that in this season, you would be able to build endurance and character. And I want to pray right now that the spirit of God would pour his love out on your heart in a real way that you would know it. So man, if that's you today, if you're just walking through a, a troubling season or time, maybe in, if you're online on Facebook, drop a comment. We'd love to pray. If you're in the room, would you just lift up your hand? No one's looking around. It doesn't matter. Just lift up your hand. I want to look at you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray over you in the name of Jesus that God would meet you exactly where you are. I see you all. Pray with me. God, thank you for today, for these moments, this time that we could hear from your word. God, we believe it, even though sometimes it's hard for us to truly in our hearts sit down and rest in it. But God, in this season, for all those in this room, for those online that are wrestling and walking through deep waters and hard times, help them to remember, Lord, in this time, in this season, you're producing in them something that otherwise wouldn't have been produced, an endurance of faith a character of faith, a new hope that is found in you, a, re a replenishment of the hope we have in you, Jesus. And God, I ask right now in the name of Jesus for all those in this room that I see here and those that are online, that in the name of Jesus, you would allow them to see and experience the love that you have for them in their heart by the spirit of God that's in them. Holy Spirit, pour out your love on them that they might see and feel you in a real and profound way that they haven't before and pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you jump down to verse six, there's one last benefit in our passage of salvation for us who are sinners. Look in verse six. It says that Jesus' death reconciled us and his life will get us home. Look what it says in verse six. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we are sinners, or still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? While we are still sinners. The passage just keeps getting better and better. Who did Jesus die for? He died for me. 
the weak, the ungodly, the sinner. And it seems as though, honestly, if the Apostle Paul is almost in like an unbelief, it's almost like he, he doesn't t- totally believe it himself or he's just like, holy cow, this is unbelievable. He says like, who's willing to die for another person? I mean, he's like, uh, at the end of the day, for a righteous person, one will scarcely die. In other words, like, yeah, you will say like, would you die for someone? You'd be like, yeah, but when the, when the rubber meets the road, you're like, Ugh, I don't know. I don't know if I really would be willing to do that. But perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. What he's saying is like, man, I can convince you of the reality of this, but man, this is overwhelming Not many people are going to look at someone who doesn't deserve for them to take their place and be like, yeah, the person who's who's committed a horrible sin or whatever, like, yeah, I would take that person's place. No, he's saying most people wouldn't. And all of this leads up to the beauty of verse eight when he says this, but God, you and your humanness would never do this, but God who shows his love to us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He's like, man, humanly, many of you, most of you would never do this, but God, who who shouldn't do it, even while we're sinning, dies for us. That in our state of sinfulness, God shows his love for us by Christ dying for us. God only saves bad people. Why? Because there's only one kind of people that exist. Broken people in need of a savior. Man, can I tell you, if you're watching online today, if you're here in this room, if you think you're good, then Christ has nothing to offer you. He came to save broken people, overwhelming people. But man, if you know that you're weak or you're in need of a savior, if you're broken or sinful, and you're ready to receive God's love today, or maybe you've already received it. I want to remind you of our place. And I don't want to send this time to leave this place to be like, yeah, Jim just told me I was a broken sinner and I need to leave. Because honestly, I think many times within Christendom, we live as though we're sinners. We take on the identity that we're sinners saved by grace. And so when I sin, I'm just kind of like, ah, grace of God will meet me where I'm at. It's fantastic. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, that's wrong. You're not. You're a saint. You're a co-heir with Christ. As we'll see in a couple of weeks, how shall we, what should we do? Continue in sin that grace should abound because God's grace will just keep coming because I'm just a broken sinner who has nothing to offer and I, I don't have to live a certain way. No, he says, God forbid. How can we who have been reconciled, saved, redeemed by God, continue walking in sin like we are not new creations in Christ. We're not new-ish, we're new. Some of us in this room, some of us watching online, myself included, maybe just need to believe what God says about us, that we are made new in the name of Jesus. And behold, he is making all things new every single day. And I am a saint. I am a child of God. I am a co-heir with Christ. And I want to live like that. I don't want to live as though like, yeah, I'm just moping Eeyore through life. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I messed up again today. Yeah, we mess up a lot, but God's grace meets us there every single day. That Jesus' death, man, reconciled us back to him. Today's big idea, man, is refreshing to us. It should be that God only saves broken people because I'm a broken person. 
And I'm so glad that God meets me there. I'm weak, and sometimes I mess up. And God, in his goodness, while I was still broken, ran after me, came after me, and loved me. Today, what's your choice of a reality to live in? Are you going to keep living? Man, I don't need anything from God. Maybe you're watching. Someone shared this on Facebook, and you're watching. like, I don't need anything. I'm a pretty good person. What can I tell you? Pretty good isn't good enough. The reason why Jesus came and came after us, gave his life for us, is that we weren't good, but we needed a good God who would take our place. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to step into that, rest in that, come forward during the last song, meet us downstairs afterwards. We just heard a story at a baptism that during one of the worship songs, one of the women just cried out before God and gave her life to Jesus. Those of us in this room, let's start living as though We are Christ followers. Live as though we are people that have been saved by the grace of God and we have a hope that is unchanging and we can walk in newness of life. And then we have access to a God that has created everything and ordained everything in our lives. Let's let's live as people that are followers of Jesus, saints, co-heirs with Christ, not as people who are just resting in the brokenness of our lives and allowing it to rule and reign. And Christ died for more than that. He didn't die to make us new-ish. He died to make us new, to walk in newness of life. Even though we'll be broken, we'll never be perfect. God has great plans for us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for today, for truth, the truth of your word that is, speaks to our heart and our life. Thank you for the fact of what we're about to sing even, that you are a, a God that, rose from the grave, and in light of that, in the power of that, God, you are a God that raises all of us from the grave now and forevermore, that we can walk in newness of life. God, would you remind us this week that you have granted us access before you through Christ, that we have the Spirit of God walking with us, speaking love and truth to our hearts and our minds. And may we walk in light of that, God, as your followers, as your people, that we are your children set out in the world today to walk in newness of life. Would you help us? And even as we're about to sing, Lord, the power of the rose craze from the grave lives in me. Let us live in light of that. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.